invite you to take out your Bibles. If you didn't bring one, you might be able to find one in the seat in front of you, underneath a chair, or grab your mobile device and find your Bible app. Um, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, come see me after the worship service, and I'll be, be delighted to get you a Bible. Looking at two scriptures this morning, one from the Gospel of Luke and, and the other from the Old Testament prophet um, Habakkuk chapter 3. And um, as we celebrate Advent, and as we are preaching through the Bible this year, um, we're, we're going to combine a couple of things. One, we're going to look at Mary's song, the, 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 the proclamation of Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, after the angel of God visited her and told her that she would give birth to the Savior of the world. And we're going to look at what um, informed Mary's proclamation. Because she wasn't making this prayer up that she, that, she, that she proclaimed, but rather was influenced by her, her faith, um, her Jewish faith. Um, and you can see the influence of the Psalms and also the Minor Prophets in this song of Mary. It's perhaps the, the greatest song of all time. So we're going to look at that song, and then each of the next three weeks, um, something from the minor prophets and uh, what Mary uh, was perhaps thinking of from these, these prophecies uh, that influenced her, her song here. So let's look at, at Luke chapter 1, starting uh, with verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones that has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And now I'm going to read from Habakkuk chapter 3, very end of this, this book. The prophet writes, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So, Mary, um, did you notice the very beginning of her song is a quotation of the prophet Habakkuk. I will rejoice in God my Savior. Um, We're going to look at 
Um, we're going to look at that, at what she might have been thinking of from this prophet of Habakkuk and his, his letter, his prophecy, how it influenced her song to us. And the theme that we're going to look at today, here's our focus for today. Mary shows how you can rejoice during troubled times. And maybe you've had a recent moment where you've thought about troubled times and maybe one loss that you've experienced after another. Um, Maybe a similar moment to, to one I had recently, just kind of thinking of struggles and troubles and and then thinking, God, I just, I just need a little win. I need a little victory. Maybe you've um, felt that way recently, where the troubled times seem to just kind of extend on and on. Well, Mary and Habakkuk shows us that we can rejoice during uh, troubled times. Now, why did Mary think of Habakkuk? You know, when she quoted him, my soul rejoices in, in, in God, my Savior. She wasn't just thinking of that one little verse from Habakkuk, but rather when, as we read through the New Testament and we see the Old Testament quoted, what the writers are doing, they're, they're importing more than just a verse, but the thought that surrounds that verse. So it's very likely that Mary is thinking about this text from the Old Testament, Habakkuk's prophecy. Why did Mary think of Habakkuk? You know, both of them, there's some similarities. Both of them saw or foresaw their people being oppressed by more powerful outsiders among them. So Mary, she certainly saw that firsthand with the Romans among them. Primarily, the maniacal King Herod who ruled over Judea and his family ruling over Judea. So Mary was well aware of that. Habakkuk foresaw God sending the Babylonians as the stronger outsiders that would move in um, and they would exercise God's judgment on the Israelites for their their growing apostasy. So there's some similarities between Mary and Habakkuk. Now, if we think about Mary's time, she was aware of the oppression of the, the, the Jewish people during her day. Um, you know, she would have been thinking of Herod. Herod was known for his cruelty. Herod and his sons, known for their cruelty. Um, uh, King Herod, um, uh, just just a wicked fellow. I mean, he had his his wives executed, his sons um, put to death. Some of his sons put to death. Um, he uh, used forced labor to build extremely extravagant palaces and buildings. He was known as a builder. Um, he overtaxed the Jewish people tremendously, to the, to the, almost to the breaking point. And, um, and this, is, this was Mary's life, living under this oppression. And, and yet Mary can still rejoice. Uh, what does she know, what does Habakkuk know that we need to know in order for us to rejoice during troubling times? So we're going to look at a few things this morning. One, we need to know, I need to know, my need to wait for God. In order for me to rejoice during troubled times, I need to know that I need to wait for God. 
So both Mary and Habakkuk are waiting for the promises of God. And one of the most difficult times, I believe, um, to trust God is when we have to wait for God to act. And I want to look at a little earlier in the prophet of Habakkuk, read you a few um, verses from his, his prophecy. Because Habakkuk waits for God. He's waiting for God as well. He's waiting for God to answer a complaint that he makes to God. See, Habakkuk was questioning God. God, God revealed to him that he would send the the wicked Babylonian empire to exercise God's judgment on the Israelites. And, And Habakkuk questioned that. He complained about that to God. Why would you do that, God? And God says, oh, let me tell you, I will deal with the unrighteous Babylonians, but you'll need to wait. And so I'm going to read something from chapter 2. This is verse 3 from chapter 2. Habakkuk, uh, this verse reads, uh, the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. Now the revelation, God's God's, what God is going to do, how God is going to act. It's awaiting an appointed time. There's this end. It speaks of the end. There's this, this end that God is bringing his, the, the, the Babylonians to and his, God's judgment of the Babylonians. And it will not prove false. Though it linger, though that, that moment lingers, wait for it, it will certainly come and it will not delay. And I want you to focus on the the very end of that verse. This moment that God will act, though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come, but it won't delay. And I think that's that's interesting. Though it linger, it will not delay. Another way of saying that is, though it is delaying, it won't delay. And you can imagine Habakkuk questioning God on that way. God, are you telling me? Though you delay, you won't delay. That's right. Well, God, let me say that that is perfectly clear and makes complete sense. Um, I, I think this is what this means. There, there are delays when there is not much else getting done. But there are also delays when a whole lot of stuff is getting done. In the meanwhile, it's like when you're your honey asked you to clean out the garage. Okay, no problem. And she says, I'm going to check in with you later on to check your progress. And she calls later that afternoon. Is it done? No, honey, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, there's been a delay. Oh, a delay. What happened? Could be that, well, I, you know, I saw a game was on TV, and I thought, well, it won't hurt too much to watch a game with, Kind of turned on what turned out to be watching two games, and that was the delay. Well, that's an example of not getting much done, right? Or it could have gone like this. Well, I was delayed because when I pulled out the car to clean the garage, I noticed that the car was a mess inside, and so I had to take some time to clean out the garage, the, the car, and then I had to clean up in the attic, move some stuff around so that I could make space for all the stuff in the garage that I had to go put up in the attic, and that's why there was a delay. So sometimes there's a delay when nothing else is happening. Sometimes there's a delay and a lot of good things are happening 
in the background, a lot of important stuff. And I think that's the kind of delay that God is talking about here. Though there is a delay, don't worry, I won't delay. And it may seem like there's a delay, a pause, and you might question if I'm doing anything. And God says, rest assured, I am doing many, many important things in the background, getting things ready for when I will act. God says, there is no hesitation or dragging my feet whatsoever. You can trust that I am always at work. One pastor put it like this, God is not so unkind as to answer our prayers exactly when they are asked. When there is a delay, there is a greater good on the way. So in order to rejoice during troubled times, we have to remember that we need to wait on God. And when we are waiting, God is always at work, getting things ready for when he will act. So hang on to that. Two, in order to rejoice during troubled times, I need to show obedience to God. Mary says in her her song, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And now let's think about the, product, the prophet Habakkuk. He is shocked that God would use the throne of Babylon to bring judgment to the Hebrew people. God, why would you send this wicked empire to come Bring judgment on us. God says, I will judge Babylon as well. And what comes next in in Habakkuk is a series of woes that God proclaims against Babylon because of their injustice. So chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 say, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you humble? Then you will become their prey. So God is saying, woe to you because of your greed. Greed drives you to take advantage of others for your own financial gain. And there's a visual of this, and it's just piles and piles of accumulated stuff. It's it's piling up possessions one of your main drives in life, because God hates greed and injustice that comes from that greed and promises, if that's your pursuit, then you will find yourself the victim to other people's greed as well. That's the first woe. There's a second woe. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. Woe to you, God is saying, because of your abuse of power and privilege. See, God entrusts people with power. But God entrusts people with power to to use that power to benefit others, not inflict suffering on others or ignoring the suffering of others. And so, woe to you, setting his nest, you who set your nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. And, and one visual of this, one extreme visual of this, 
uh, is, uh, this might come to mind, Adolf Hitler and his eagle's nest. Um, that was his mountaintop hangout, perched high in the mountains, where he and his dignitaries could have tea together, high up high, while, while the, the nation was just getting decimated around him during World War II. It might be the extreme vision of abuse of power and privilege. On a more down-to-earth level, this can be simply uh, being uncaring to the suffering of others, like when you have plenty to eat and others around you have a hard time feeding their family. You might think of Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man who lived in wealth and comfort while there was this poor man Lazarus living outside of his gates, and he did nothing to help. Then another woe from God, chapter 2, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? So woe to you because of your violence. Nebuchadnezzar would use slaves and slave people to, to build his impressive city. Herod terrorized the Jews and used forced labor, labor uh, to get them to, to build his, his uh, uh, luxurious palaces. So when you think of this woe, think of using others for your own personal gain. And then verse 15 Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. So woe to you because of your exploitation, because your inflated view of yourself, you are using others for your own personal pleasure. Here, illustrated graphically, with the example of getting people drunk so that you could just gaze on their naked bodies. So woe to you because of your greed. For you, woe to you because of your abuse of power and privilege. Woe to you because of your violence and because of your exploitation. And then Habakkuk identifies another woe from God. Woe for a sin that I think is at the origin for all of these other injustices. Verse 18. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman? Habakkuk writes. Or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. So woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to lifeless stone, wake up. Woe to you because of your idolatry because of your idolatry. And, and today, we might best be warned, be warned against the idolatry of me. That's our most popular form of idolatry today, the idolatry of me. And when you become your own idol, you trust in yourself above all else, certainly above trusting God, and you serve yourself ultimately above all else and not serving God. So Mary, as she's, as she's thinking of the prophet Habakkuk, and she, she gives this, this poem, this song, 
she could she could be looking around her and and seeing and thinking about all these injustices going on around her. And we might see some of those injustices today. And she rejoices in the midst of all of it. Because she knows that God is now bringing about this reversal and she's celebrating it. God will ultimately bring the proud those guilty of these injustices, down low. The reversal, she says, is at the very end of verse 52. The reversal is the the proud will be brought down low, but then she says at the end of verse 52, but God has lifted up the humble. God will lift up those who walk humbly with, with God, who are obedient to God. What does Mary say about herself in verse 48? She says that God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She sees herself as God's servant. So do you see yourself fundamentally as God's servant or fundamentally as serving your own plans? That's not unfaithful to pursue your plans. It's not unfaithful as long as fundamentally, firstly, you are God's servant. And you understand that when God's priorities insist, you do so that you put his plans above yours. You know, you can be a a huge builder of plans. God, God, gifts people, equips people with the ability to build wonderful things and to to make happen very ambitious plans. There's, There's nothing wrong with that. God equips people to do that. But then he insists to those of us who are who are builders and plan makers. He insists, now I want you to put your plans in my hands. And the danger today is that our culture, in our culture, which, which values building and acquiring and doing and achieving, the, the danger is that we do that all for ourselves without any regard of serving God through those plans, through, through our buildings and, and achievings of, of plans. So Habakkuk and Mary give us this warning. How do you avoid those injustices. And that leads us to our third thing this morning. Um, I can rejoice during troubled times when I do this, when I grow in my trust in God. See, at the end of these woes, God reminds the world how to keep everything in proper focus in life. So Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And you might think of that, that Christmas carol. We don't sing it very often. There's a Christmas carol that was, that was influenced by that, that very verse, let all mortal flesh keep silent. That, that Advent song or that Christmas song, it comes from, from this verse. Let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand and ponder nothing earthly-minded 
For with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth. Our full homage to demand. And so the bottom line is that each person here must decide, is the Almighty God really seated on his throne or not? And if the answer is yes, if the answer that, that, that you, if you answer yes in your heart, God indeed is on his throne, then that has to change everything in your life. And then the question becomes, the question isn't, um, do I want to do what God asks? That's no longer the question, but rather the question becomes, what is it that God asks? And I'm going to do it, whatever that is, because God is seated on his throne. Uh, The question is not, what do I think is valuable and worth pursuing in life? But the question becomes, what does God say is valuable that I should pursue in life? Ponder nothing earthly-minded, but be ready to receive the blessing that is in Christ's hand. That's what that, that song, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence, says. Christ is coming with a blessing. He's the almighty sovereign king, and he comes with a blessing, but it's his blessing. Because he is in charge, because Christ is on the throne, I can trust him no matter what. I can trust him no matter the trouble I see around me. But God gives me a new way to look at the world, to see things. God is ultimately going to elevate the things that are important to him, and he's going to diminish the things that aren't important to him. God is going to reverse the world according to his priorities, not my priorities. And then God invites me, just change your priorities and values according to mine. And when I do that, I can really rejoice. I can really rejoice because I'm pursuing what God is pursuing. And he's the king. So one final note you can take this morning. Rejoice during troubled times by letting God reverse your values. Because Mary's song is ultimately is about reversals. God's reversals. And if you worship God and align yourself with God, ultimately you'll be blessed. But even when we take that truth and put it in our hearts that we will be blessed. We have to keep in mind that we might not be blessed in the way that we are expecting that blessing to come. God's reversal may not happen exactly how would you expect. The Hebrew people all expected the Messiah would indeed reverse everything, but their mental mindset of that reversal was going to be that God would restore the Hebrew people to political power. That was the blessing that they expected from God. And God says, I'm going to give you a different blessing. See, they were still living according to the world's values. And rejoicing during troubled times is possible when we allow God to reverse the priorities of our heart. When we measure gains and losses in life more and more by how God measures them. 
when I was thinking about Mary's song, a story came to mind that I had read some time ago. It's a, a story about um, Marshall Shelley, and you might not know that name, um, but you might you might recognize what he works on. He's one of the editors of Christianity Today. Um, Christianity Today is just one of the largest Christian evangelical Christian magazines today. Um, He's also the president of Denver Seminary, if anyone's wondering about that. Um, Marshall Shelley and his wife, Susan Shelley, they, um, they wrote about family tragedy that they had and what they learned through it. He and his wife, Susan, experienced great personal tragedies and challenges with two of their children back in the 1990s. Um, Mandy and Toby, they have five kids. Mandy and Toby were two of them. They were born a year or so apart, both with severe birth defects. Mandy was born uh, with limited brain function. Uh, she needed many surgeries in her first year of life. Toby was born in an even worse condition. He just, he just died within minutes of, of, of birth. And at the end of this year, this difficult year, the Shelleys wrote a letter they reported on Mandy's nine hospitals, hospitalizations that she had to go through that year. And here's what they wrote. She remains completely dependent, unable to respond to us in any way, although we do think that she knows when she is being held. And they went on to write about Toby, who, like I said, he, just, he, was, he was just here for minutes. Um, and his heart malformations and, and just missing portions of his brain. And they wrote, you know, after, after paying tribute to Toby with his service, with a service of remembrance and thanksgiving, 275 people came to the funeral to honor him. After that, we, we loaded his tiny casket into our van and drove to Kansas where he, we buried his body in the family cemetery. And we knew that Toby himself was already in heaven enjoying eternal life free from his birth defects. And again, we were left wondering what God was up to. Why create a child who would only live for two minutes? We still don't know what caused Toby's conditions or or Mandy, or Toby's condition or Mandy's, but we are convinced that they were created for a purpose. This is what they're right. If, as the Bible says, the last shall be first, we won't be surprised to find when we get to heaven that Toby and Mandy are playing key roles that we can't even imagine now. Susan and I have often reminded each other that all of our professional and church activity, and they're pretty successful people, that all of our professional and church activity might wind up in eternity looking pretty insignificant in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, we we may find that our greatest contribution was giving birth to Toby and Mandy. In God's kingdom, the way that God sees things. What if the things that we usually are so interested in doing, building and acquiring and succeeding, what if they aren't all that important to God in the first place? What if, what if the, the last really are first in God's kingdom and in God's views and in God's priorities? And what if a life of personal focus 
What if uh, all that it leads to is just chasing after the wrong stuff and exhausting ourselves for nothing? And Habakkuk reminds us, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Stop with the noise and listen to God's priorities. And let me tell you one thing that God prioritizes very highly. It's your heart. It's your heart. Listen, God, God didn't set his nest on high so that he could escape from the ruin below in our world. Instead, he came down to live among us. God sent you a Savior, Jesus Christ. And at his appointed time, he will bring his judgment and his reversal on all of the injustices that we suffer from this world. Though he may linger, he will not delay. He is always at work, and he's at work right now, bringing about his good plans and purposes. And so, though the fig tree fails, and the grapevines fail, and the olive crop, and all the fields, and the sheep, and the cattle herds, they all fail, and the stock market, and the job market fail, and college applications, they fail, and yet, 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 despite all those failures, I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will be joyful in God my Savior. Because I can trust Him. And you can trust Him. And we can obey Him as we wait for Him. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you are bringing your ways down into this world. That you promise a great reversal in this world. Reversing our pursuit of our own gains reversing self-centered priorities of our hearts and filling us with your Holy Spirit so that we can trust you and obey you and serve you and pursue your kingdom and receive your blessings and delight in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, wherever there is fear in our hearts right now, we pray that you would fill us with confident joy, knowing that you are with us and that you are faithful to your people. As you have saved them in the past, you will save us now. Help us to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.